It's always cool when you come up and the song that you just finished singing pretty much gave your entire sermon for you. So, amen. Let's have some coffee. No. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it always, it's amazing to me how these things work together. Uh, well, good evening, everybody. Hi. Howdy. It's like, I, f- I feel really welcomed right now. I feel really good evening. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, does anybody, Isaac, I know you, you feel like, are you, how's your distraction skills right now? Uh, uh, what's that? <laughs> Pretty high. Okay, so I need somebody to give me like a, a couple of large numbers in, and I'm going to try to multiply them together, but then I want Isaac because I, I think that you'll have a special skill here. I want you to try to distract me. So I, so I can't do the math. Do you think you can do that? You're just going to, like, you can just do it just laying like that, can't you? <laughs> okay, does anyone else want to try to distract me with Isaac? So you got to try to, you got to try to make it so I can't do it in my mind. Think you can do it? Yeah, you can try. Okay, so you got to try. So, okay. <laughs> no, yeah, no, no punching. You got skills. Okay, so. So, somebody give me a couple, a couple like, uh, like three numbers or something like 73. that. Seventy-three. Seventy-three and. Multiplying. I'm multiplying. Seventy-three and ninety-eight. Okay, so I'm gonna start to try to. I'm just gonna try to do this. Try to distract me. Okay. On your marks. Get set. Go. Okay, so seventy-three times ninety. <laughs> Seventy. So. Three, 70, I can't even remember what the numbers are right now. 73, 98. So three times 98 is 100 and, or 270, 200, 294. Three times 98. Uh, okay, I can't do it. I, it's honestly, that's, dude, man, you got mad skills. Let's give him a big round of applause. His distraction skills are second to none. I felt, like, I felt like 80s basketball. There's a little 80s basketball in there too, right? He, he was like up in my grill and man, there's a lot of things I wouldn't have been able to do. Thank you guys for... <laughs> so d- distractions are a big thing in life. I think we, we can all agree about that. How many of us have ever tried to do some homework or tried to do a project for work or tried to listen to a loved one, have a conversation in a food court? and found ourselves distracted by something. Anybody ever experienced any of these? Most of us, right? See, a lot of time though, the consequences of these sorts of distractions aren't that big a deal. We can get through it and it's not that big a problem. Other times though, we can get distracted in ways that impact our lives. It doesn't just distract our minds, it just our minds don't wander. It can actually start to pull at our hearts. We could start to like our attention is going in the wrong direction. We're continuing our series on the, on the seven letters today, and uh, because we had a snow day, and last week we, we did the letter to Smyrna, we're actually going to be taking two letters today. We're going to take the letter to Pergamum and the letter to Thyatira, and we're going to put them together. And it's also going to be condensed a little bit because of our family service. Uh, but if you don't have a Bible but would like one, I encourage you to uh, just go to the welcome desk. There we have a, a bunch there. Uh, also, feel free to use your, your phone app and stuff. Uh, there's not going to be 
slides for the, for the text, unfortunately. We had a little bit of a, a technical difficulty, so that's not going to be happening. So if you do want the text, phones, apps, good. There's uh, Bibles in the front, or feel free. We're going to be in Romans, uh, sorry, Revelation 2, 12 to 29. So a little bit of context. The city of Pergamum laid about 100 kilometers north of the city of Smyrna. It was uh, held the official honor of being one of the capital cities of Roman Asia. So it was a very, very important seat of government. It was a very beautiful and wealthy city at the time. A few of us, uh, I believe I talked about this when we started the, the series, I had an opportunity to visit and the ruins of this city could show us that this was quite a magnificent city. It had a library of nearly 200,000 volumes in it. It was only rivaled in the known world at the time by Alexandria. It was, uh, there was many temples to Dionysus, Athena, Asclepius, where we get the, the snake for health as a, as a symbol, Demeter, along with three temples to the emperor cult. There's temple prostitution, feasts held for the gods, sacrifices and such happening all the time. And this worship would have t- touched every single part of society. Thyatira, on the other hand, was about 70 kilometers due east of Pergamum, and it was far less wonderful. It wasn't the seat of Roman power or anything like that, but it still had temples with all of the things that went along with that. The thing that set Thyatira Thyatira apart was its trade guilds. It had a lot of tradespeople going on there, and the allegiance to join into these trade guilds would have been connected with pagan worship. So in order to join them, often you would have had to worship the local deities. And if you think that sounds weird, if you just think about people in certain jobs nowadays, and if you don't toe the company line as it pertains to things like gender identity or even climate change or any other hot button issue, if you don't share the same views, you can become ostracized or even excluded. And so that nothing in that sense has changed. It'd be very, very hard for a church community to live in societies like these without being distracted by all of these things going on around them. There was temptation everywhere. And the last thing that these churches needed was that welling up from within. These letters really have three parts. Jesus talks about what they've done well, what they haven't, and what the consequences will be. But, and also what the reward for faithfulness is. So I'm going to read now Revelation 2, verses 12 to 29. And to the angel of the church of Pergamum write, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. So that's Jesus. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast to my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you who have some who who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, 
So think Exodus, right? The Exodus out of Egypt. I'll give some of the hidden manna and I'll give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. So that's the letter to the church of Pergamum. Now here's the letter to the church of Thyatira. Listen how Jesus talks about himself as he starts it off. And to the angel of the church of Thyatira write, the words of the son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. So we see the same things are being levied against them as were Pergamum. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead. I'm going to pause right here. I'm not going to be getting into this part of it too deeply, but we want to be thinking as he's talking about this, what is going on is there's a woman who is leading people in the church astray, and these are the people, her children are her followers, and so Jesus is going to be pushing back, coming against them with the truth, his truth, and having and stopping their commitment to under or eroding the church. All of the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I'll give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast to what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my father, and I will give him the morning star." He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay, so because of time, we won't be covering everything in these letters. As usual, we'll be, I'll be doing Q&A after. So if I don't cover a, a spot that you have a burning desire to know about, please come talk to me afterwards. Uh, also, if you go online, you can hear the full sermons or watch full sermons of both of these. Uh, Jason, Pastor Jason covers Pergamum. Pastor Matt covers Thyatira. What I do want us to do today, all of us here, is ask ourselves this question. Okay, everybody ready? Who is on the throne of my heart? Now, I think this is a question that we want to jump to, and we want to answer that quickly. We want to say Jesus. And, and I, I've talked about this before, but one of the fun things about being a preacher is I get to sit under the conviction of a text for, in this case, weeks as I've been going through these, and it, it's not the, the 30 or 40 minutes that the sermon goes. And I found myself, as I was asking this question, to my shame, Jesus wasn't always the answer to that question in every single aspect of my life. There's areas where Jesus does not have lordship. Do I want Jesus to have lordship? Of course. 
but I find myself being pulled away. So we don't want to just jump in and not critically think this through in our own life. We want to ponder this and, and ask ourselves this. I like the way A.W. Tozer says it. He says, in every Christian's heart, and, and I would say that even if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, this is a question that we all want to be asking ourselves is who is the authority in our life? But he, he frames it in the terms of the life of a Christian. He says, in every Christian's heart, there is a cross and a throne. And the Christian is on the throne until he puts himself or herself on the cross. You see, many of the same people in, in Pergamum and, and Thyatira would have said that they believe Jesus is on the throne of their heart at all times. Jezebel might have said the same thing, but, but was he? According to him, Jesus, the one who can see through whatever front we put up, and into the heart of a person, there were some who had Balaam or Jezebel or themselves, anybody but him, on the throne in their heart. So with our remaining time, we're just going to look at what it looks like from these two letters, what it looks like to have Jesus on the throne, what it looks like to not have Jesus on the throne, and what it looks like to turn things around, okay? So what it looks like to have Jesus on the throne. If we were to look at verse 13, we see Jesus commending the church at Pergamum. See, this was a city that was, a sim it was symbolic of Satan's power. It was, the, it was a seat of Roman power. This, this terrible government, the evil seen in the world. But against all odds, this little church was holding on. And one of their local heroes, a guy named Antipas, he actually died for his faith. And he was given a name, the same name that if we were to read back in chapter 1, verse 5, the same name that John gives Jesus. And that's faithful witness. Very, very special. If you, we read church history, there's many times when faithful people have stood up and denied the opportunity to recant their faith and instead went willingly to their death for it. And interestingly, as that light was shining, very few times in history has the church burned so brightly as when these things would happen. See, the last part of, of verse 13, it says where Satan dwells. And, and this contrasts the, that first part where it says, I know where you dwell. And this accentuates the point. It, it really heightens it that darkness and light can't live together. And so wherever a church is strong, strongly going out in the community and witnessing, there's going to be persecution. Things are going to come against it. In verse 19, we, we read that the Thyatira, I always want to say Thyatira, Thyatira was also faithful in its witness. Jesus has a lot of really wonderful things to say about this church. They sounded like they were loving and caring. So despite the culture, they were getting out and spreading this love. And they were even getting better, Jesus says. So for us, this would be like sharing our faith at school or at work or in our community, going around and, and telling people about Jesus and the hope that's in him. Sometimes, though, we can convince ourselves that it's, it's best not to say anything because of the negative impact that it might have on us. That it might not end well for us. But then how can we be the light in the place? We might tell ourselves, how can I be a light in this place if I get fired or if I get kicked out? It's a legitimate question. But how will anyone ever know if it's Jesus who's the reason behind us being a light if we never actually 
say anything. We talk about building bridges, wanting to build bridges in relationship, but there always comes a time when we have to drive something over it. See, these two churches didn't let fear stop them, and neither should we, but, but they weren't perfect either. A couple weeks ago, we talked about Ephesus, and Ephesus, what their problem was is they overemphasized doctrinal purity, and it led to a lack of concern for the outside world. Pergamum and, and Thyatira, they were uh, de-emphasizing doctrinal purity, and it led to an over-identification with the world. So they were, they were trading in or allowing truth to be set aside. So specifically, Jesus' issue seems to be that they're tolerating things that didn't fit with their core beliefs, and they're allowing this to become commonplace in their community. So there's a couple of things at play here. Not, uh, first of all, not everyone is doing something wrong in this sense. What Jesus is, is uh, condemning them for, he's not, not everybody's doing it. But the ones who aren't participating in it, they're allowing it to happen. And so, therefore, Jesus is, is, is talking with both of them. What was going on? Well, with Balaam, and if you were to look at Numbers 25 or uh, Numbers 31, this was during the Exodus. So, Jesus, or God's bringing his people out of Egypt. It's a crazy time. And there's a lot of people trying to war against the Israelites. And there's King Balak. And Balak has this prophet guy named Balaam. And Balaam is trying to trip up the Israelites and, and God's thwarting him along the way. And finally, he says to King Balak, you know, you just need to lure them with these pretty women and these feasts. And lo and behold, he distracts them. He gets them off course. And Jesus is saying that they're tolerating the same teaching that went on at that time. They're distracting them. They're starting to lead them astray. And in Thyatira, there is a woman who Jesus describes as Jezebel. Now, was it a real woman? I, I think so. Was it her name Jezebel, perhaps. But what Jesus is doing is he's taking this Old Testament woman, Jezebel, who is the king, sorry, the queen of a guy named Ahab. And she would lead him by the nose. And she got him to start uh, worshiping Baal, a, a pagan god, and all of Israel. They got doing that as well. They were leading others to do the same. Both of these stories include weak men who were unwilling to step up and do what was right. They were distracted, essentially, by these base appetites. These base appetites, these are good things that God has given us, but can be easily used or abused if not properly attended to. Not only that, but if you want to distract a nation, we want to mess around in these areas, don't we? How distracted is a nation right now, or as, as, a, as an area of the world, a hemisphere of the world, the Western hemisphere, how distracted are we right now in these areas, talking about the same sorts of things that aren't really important, but we're all caught up in them? pretty distracting. So much so that communities, whole communities are being pulled apart. And to quote Ozzy Osbourne, Satan laughing spreads his wings. 
So there's a couple of reasons for the people going astray here. First, they could have been struggling with fitting in. That could have been the problem. In this society, pretty much everything was connected to the worship of something other than Jesus. Kids, you know when you're in school and people wear the same clothes. And if you wear different clothes, you're not part of the in crowd. If you don't talk a certain way, you don't watch certain things, you're not part of the in crowd. It's the same sort of thing. This society, pretty much everything was connected to the worship of something other than Jesus. Thyatira was especially this way because of the trade guilds. Remember those? If you wanted to be a part of a trade guild, you would need to either give up your faith and join this guild, bow down to Baal or Dionysus or Zeus or whomever, or risk poverty by by not bowing in. Beyond that, for the sake of argument, let's just say they had the best intentions. Let's say that they wanted to engage in evangelism, right? So, hey, we want to go and reach our community. We want to go and enjoy uh, feasts. We want to go and have food with them and, and hang out and do their things. Well, the, the food there is sacrifice to idols. Which food? All of it, right? Or, or hey, we want to start a men's ministry, and we want to go and, and we want to hang out with the guys and do the things that they're doing. So what do guys like to do for fun in Pergamum and Thyatira? Well, they like to go down to the temple. And which guys? All of them. Like, exaggerating aside, you can see how it would have been really, really hard for... for it, it, it's not just like having a Super Bowl party and, 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 and hanging out with people in that way. Everything that these guys were doing would have been base and would have been adulterous, idolatrous, and adulterous. Others failed because they, the resolve just wasn't strong or they didn't want to be left out. They didn't want people to not like them. The problem is Jesus said that the world would hate him first, though. How much did the world hate Jesus? Crucifixion much, right? Like that, it, it didn't get really worse than that. And so the other reason they failed is because people will often take any opportunity to sin that they can. Well, it's legal, so it must be okay. Anybody, anybody heard that before? Right now, our laws are changing. They have been changing for a while, so things that we ingest or inhale or do to ourselves or do to other people are legal. If it's legal, it must be okay. So we need to be really, really, really careful and think these things through before deploying that sort of justification for behavior because lots of things have been legal in history. Slavery for instance, has been legal. And in still lots of parts of the world, it's, it is legal. But is slavery good? Yeah. Gold star, right? It's not. So in per- Pergamum and Thyatira, this included the teaching that in Jesus, everything was okay. You guys heard that before? You're, you're saved, so live it up. Woohoo, right? You're, you're getting in. 
free in Jesus, so go and do what you want. But the problem is what we want isn't always right. There's a, a guy who does YouTube, his name's Matt Diavella. And if, as far as I know, he's no friend of Jesus. And he was doing a, a, watching a video of his talking about making habits. And this is what he just said. He, his just, he noticed this about people. He says, left to our own devices, we will pretty much do anything but the right thing. This is just him noticing things about people like himself. And as I'm trying to get better at doing habits, I can see that very, very clearly in my own heart. I've heard it also said that, that we are all, to be really simplistic, either Lewis's or Lucy's. Anybody here a C.S. Lewis fan? Anybody here like C.S. Lewis? Like three of us, I guess. Uh, there's this other, he wrote this thing, it's called the Chronicles of Narnia, and there's this one character in it named Lucy. And so people will say that either a person is a Lewis, and so a Lewis is somebody who has done the hard work of study, spent a lifetime studying different disciplines and learning about theology and things like that. So when you talk to them, they're one of those people that has an answer for everything, right? And, and a, a well-thought-out, articulate, well-informed answer. That's a Lewis. And on the other hand, you have a Lucy. Do you guys remember Lucy from the Chronicles? What was Lucy all about? She was sweet, wasn't she? She was sweet. She was trusting, faithful. She hitched her wagon to Aslan and never wavered for a second. She, she put her faith in him and di she didn't have to have all the answers. She didn't care about having all the answers. She just followed him. So either a person is a Lewis, which is, it's a good thing to have answers, or a Lucy didn't so much care about the answers, but was faithfully following after the Lord. Usually those are the, the, the kind of two ends of the spectrum. Middle ground is no good. And this is where we run into problems. I can say that for myself. This is where I often run into tr problems because pride often tells me I'm a Lewis when I'm a lot closer to a Lucy. So I think that I know everything or lots of stuff. And that has me going off into places that I shouldn't go. And so I have to fight that inclination in me. I have to be humble like Lucy and follow after the Lord. I have to strive to fight for that. So if in the Chronicles of Narnia, in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, you guys remember Edmund? Yeah. Remember Edmund? What did he do? What was his big goof? Exactly. Edmund thought he was a Lewis, right? He, he thought that he knew better and he was tricked by the witch. How did she trick him? What did she use? Oh, um, um, Turkish delight. Turkish delight, which turns out I had some in Turkey. It's disgusting. It is. See, that's, oh, see, there's two kinds of people in the world. People who don't like Turkish delight and everybody else. But <laughs> I thought it was terrible. See, Sarah's disagreeing too, but you never tried it? You don't, you're not missing anything. Stick, stick to good old Canadian candy. I've, okay, I've heard it's okay. But anyway, he was distracted by Turkish delight and allowed that to pull him away. And, and who got messed up because of Edmund? Kind of everybody, right? Like it, he messed most people up for like, it got messed up because of Edmund goofing up. But he got another chance, didn't he? We're going to go there in a second. And I just want to say that I'm not going to pretend that I, I, I know everybody in this room and that I know what every person in this room struggles with. What area might be harder, but we might say things, we might think 
things. We might do things that include hatred, cruelty, lust, gossip, slander, dishonesty, or any number of things. And only we may know, or maybe a handful of other people might know. But Jesus certainly knows. He walks among us. He's here with us today. And he is always here with us. And what's at stake, other than our souls, is our witness as the church. So he commends them. Jesus is commending them for their witness, but he knows that they're eroding it from within by allowing this teaching to continue. So following Jesus is easy, said nobody ever. And Jesus gets it, and that's why he's so, so gracious. So this is what it looks like to turn things around. Jesus, with him, it's not one and done. It's not one strike and you're out. He gives chances. I read a story recently about a paramedic who was uh, at, a, at a formal thing and, and her step, or sorry, her father-in-law was there and, and she walks up to him and she takes one look at him and says, I don't like the way you look. And he's like, I don't, I don't like the way you look either. And she's like, no, no, seriously, like, we, I need to get you to a hospital. And so she goes and takes him to the hospital and it turned out that he was within hours of having major heart failure. So she was, a, she was a paramedic. She'd been around people so often that were experiencing heart failure that she was able to see the signs. She couldn't explain it. She couldn't say, oh, it's because of this, this, and this, but she just knew. And so she was able to help him. She knew healthy from unhealthy. Jesus, he, he created us. He created all of us. So it's not just a habit that Jesus has or his intuition. Jesus can spot an unhealthy heart just by looking at it. But he can explain it through our behavior. See, we're, we as, as the church, as, as the people of God, we're never going to be Jesus or, or have his insights to the same full degree. But the more time that we spend reading his words to us, so important listening to him, praying, hearing what he has to say to us in our spirit and doing what he says. We can never forget that part. The more time we do all that, the more or the better we will be at spotting untruth or a lack of love. So those are two things that, that seem to plague these churches so far. If this series is teaching us anything so far, it's that we need to love truth and love people. It can't be a one or the other. Jesus expects both. And the more we do these things, the better we're going to be able to be to spot opportunities to do the right thing, as well as spot when something isn't right and needs to be addressed. That's why, this is what we want to be here in Lake Arok, a central community church. We want to be people who love truth and love people. Again, so this is in part what it looks like to have Jesus on the throne. Someone who follows Jesus knows when they need to repent for sin. The other day, some of us uh, had the opportunity to go to Kent. I, I go there usually once a month, but uh, we, it was a special thing for a better late than never holiday meal. It got canceled in December, so we went and had Christmas in January at uh, Kent Maximum Security. It was pretty awesome. 
And as we were sitting there and I was talking about how the religious leaders of Jesus's day uh, got upset that Jesus was hanging with sinners. He's upset about them hanging with the sinners. And I pointed out that we like to come, pardon me? That's the irony of it, man. That's the, see, I don't even need to preach this. He's got it. Thanks, man. They were sinners, too. So in our society, though, we like to compartmentalize people, don't we? We like to, to point out the bad people. And the bad people are usually in jail, or they hold some sort of office or practice law, something like that, right? These are the people that we point to and say, these are the bad ones. But implicitly, when we say that, we're, we're saying we're good, right? When I'm pointing it at, this, at James and I go, you're bad, I'm saying, I'm better than you. But everybody falls short of the glory of God. That's what the scriptures, teach. God teaches us through the scriptures. And not one of these guys in there, not one of them told me that they're an angel, that they, they don't belong in there. But there are people who look at them, at the people in there, and then they look at themselves and think, because they're in there and I'm out here, that makes them bad and me good. So of course God has my back, right? I'm no axe murderer. This is the, I'm no axe murderer justification for going to heaven. But if that's the bar that makes somebody good, I mean, if, if it's like Jesus on one end of the spectrum and an axe murderer on the other, there's a lot of room in, in between that and most of it's not good, right? So, so what if I just te- cheat on my tests at school? Or what if I just emotionally abuse my wife? Or what if I just habitually cheat on my taxes? Right? Like, what if I just do some of these things? Does that, does that do I still get in? Like, does is, is that make me okay? What if I'm just someone that has something other than Jesus on the throne in my heart? I like the way Tim Keller puts it. He writes that in, in Jesus Christ, Prostitute and king, male and female, Jew and Gentile, one race and another race, moral and immoral, all sit down as equals. Equally sinful and lost, equally accepted and loved. We're all equals. Here's how the author of Revelation, John, he puts it in another letter. He wrote, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But there's encouragement right around the corner as we're reading through that, right? Why? What's the next verse? He writes, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it doesn't matter what we've done. Well, it matters. But in his eyes, there's nothing that we can do that Jesus will not forgive. So if you're sitting here today and you're thinking in your mind, well, he won't forgive that, whatever that is, Jesus will forgive it if you ask. So we confess, we're forgiven, and then we move towards God and we move away from our sin. We, we take ourselves off the throne in that area and we acknowledge that it is Jesus' rightful place. Because he's already done all the dying that we need. It's all done. And now it's our turn to die to our own selfish desires. And that's 
called repentance. That's a, it's a significant theme in this book, right? In, in Revelation, talk about it a lot, repentance. But it's also a significant theme in the Bible as a whole. As Jesus would go out and preach in his early ministry, what did he always say? Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. See, he's steady, right? Jesus is steady. Same message, just kept going. Same beautiful message because he cares. He's warning them. He's warning us as as a church, as a whole. We need to pay attention. And notice he's not differentiating, right? He's asking them all to repent because either they're doing wrong or allowing the wrong. And in Jesus' eyes, that's both wrong. So kids, friends, Jesus sees all and knows all. And this isn't meant to disturb us. It's just meant to, it's meant to comfort us. The, the creator of all, the Lord of the universe is watching out for us. And as we read these letters, the one thing is clear is that Jesus is fiercely loyal to his church and he's going to protect it by any means necessary. So if there's people who are seeking to break it down from within, like Jezebel or her followers or the followers of Baal or the Nicolaitans or anybody else, Jesus, he's going to go against them. That's that imagery with the sword. And it's not defeating them for vengeance's sake. It's to protect his church. But we can help them before it gets to that, can't we? We can maintain our witness in the community. We can love truth. We can keep one another close. Beautiful community. And and when we stray, when we start to to go off, we can work to bring one another back. Friends, this is the gospel, that there is freedom in Jesus from the evils around us, but also from the evil in our own hearts that can often lead us away from God. And it's all possible because of Jesus' sacrifice for us. See, Jesus wants us to overcome in this world in order to receive his blessing in this world so that we can help others find that same hope in this world. Jesus belongs on the throne in our hearts. And when we put him there, there's something unimaginable and indescribable that's waiting for us. A feast with the King of Kings. A new name to go along with that new life. The restoration of all things. No more hurt, no more brokenness. Jesus wants that for you. And Jesus wants that for me. He wants to give us himself, the morning star, that beacon of hope, that beacon of light on the horizon that appears in the dawn when things may seem their darkest in a world sometimes shrouded in darkness. That morning star is for us. As a community, let's chase that. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this evening and for these challenging words that you've given us. Uh, Father, we want to be faithful to you here uh, at Central and in Lake Arrock and in our surrounding communities. And so we ask, Lord, that you will bless us with a constant understanding of your presence, knowledge of you, that is ever growing, a love, a thirst for your truth, and also for the people in our community, people here tonight, the people who couldn't make it this evening, and those 
who have yet to, to join us or even don't want to join us. Lord, we want to be able to love everyone in your name for your glory.